Welcome back to the Doss and D Show. Guys, if you love our show, could you do us a huge favor and tell one other person about it this week who you think would be interested in our content? We really want to continue to grow this thing and impact more lives and would love your support in doing so. Thank you to each and every one of you who continue to tune in each week. We are so grateful for you all. Now, today's episode is with special guest Monique Maitland, and to say we were a little out of our depth would be an understatement. Mon is a midwife, a nurse, and the host of the MIDI podcast and creator of the MIDI Society, a modern-day midwifery pre- and postnatal community education initiative. Mon took us behind the scenes of the incredible work midwives do when they bring new life into the world. She shared with us the beautiful, touching moments between parents as they welcome their new child, her role throughout the labor, and some great tips for partners to help the difficult process. But Mon also shared with us the flip side, the gut-wrenching occasions when a child doesn't make it, the tender moment of the poor family, and the pain that is felt throughout the room. We laughed as Mon told us the worst excuse for almost missing a birth by a hubby, and educated both Doss and I on the labour process, the different kinds of births, and everything in between. It's fair to say we learned a few new words today, and confirmed we both aren't ready just yet. We also talked about the awesome work Mon is doing with the Mini Society, and her why for what she does. Whether you've had children, planning to have children, or not even interested in having children, this episode will have something for you. It's full of education, laughs, and positivity. Now, here's our interview with Monique Maitland. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy, and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs, and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. How are you feeling this morning, Dee? Feeling a little bit nervous about this one because Uh-oh. our naivety might take over today, but I'm very excited to learn. I'm sure you are too. How are you feeling? I'm not nervous. I think... We talk about we're always willing to grow, learn yes. new things, step out of our comfort zone. That's something we're all about, aren't we? Absolutely. So today, we're stepping right outside that comfort zone to a topic or an area which neither of us are really... We have no idea. We have no idea. That's not, we're not even... We're about to introduce our guests, but we're not even pretending that we know. We're just going to be curious and ask questions and learn. So Yeah. So, Monique Maitland, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm so excited to be here. And we're very excited. Can we call you Mon or Monique? What do you prefer? Mon, anything. All right, cool. We were talking about this last night. We were saying you are such a crucial part in any midwife out there in terms of the beginning of life. Think about life, the first breath a baby takes when they're born, I guess. You are such a crucial part of that. Does it still, does it amaze you like that you are such a pivotal part in that? I think it's pretty crazy. I mean, when I started to be a midwife, I feel like the first thing I thought of was delivering babies and that's all I really thought it was, which it's definitely not, but I never take it for granted that that's what we do. It's pretty amazing. And I think when you do it so frequently, sometimes you sort of forget that. But then when you talk to people, they're like, whoa, like that's what you do. Like you deliver a baby. I'm like, yeah, I know. It just seems like the normal for me now because that's who I'm surrounded by. We're constantly bringing life into this world. And I think it's such a unique experience that not everyone gets to experience it and that's what I'm so grateful for and for a woman having a baby is honestly one of the most important moments of their life that it's pretty amazing that I get to bring life into the world and just support them on that first journey into motherhood so 
yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, we can't wait to dive into some of the stories and, and some of your experiences. But how long have you actually been doing this, Mon? How long have you been qualified for and how long has this been your career? So I have now been working as a qualified midwife. I'm also a nurse as well for past 18 months now. So I finished, I did my grad year last year and now, yeah, just two years in pretty much and loving it. Yeah, for sure. I'm really intrigued and like for those listening, this is definitely something, it's different. This is not something we would normally want to talk about and me and Monique, we know each other through footy. (laughs) So Monique was a superstar at the Southern Saints and I worked there and I guess getting to know you and watching you create, you know, the Midi Society, which I'm looking forward to, you know, really getting into that and why you started that. But can you tell us your typical day as a midwife? And I know a couple of others that are, you know, in that same career path what what does a day look like because I'm sure the hours are pretty crazy so it really varies I think like I sort of touched on it but everyone just thinks the midwife is delivering a baby and that is maybe like 10% of the job so we work across all different areas we work antenatally which means before the baby's born the labor and birth period and then also postnatally and you can also do so postnatal is once the baby's born you guys are learning so many new words already <laughs> I, um, I, I knew that <laughs> and then you can also do your home visit so there's a whole heap of variety that I guess as a midwife you can do but I mean, my days vary so much. It just depends what area I work in. I think mostly labor, so like birth center, you'd either have someone in spontaneous labor, so someone who's just gone into labor by themselves and that would be your day. You'd be just looking after them to try and hopefully facilitate a birth and then you would either be looking after someone for induction of labor. So that means us artificially bringing on the labor so there might be an indication for the reason why they need to be induced but they're sort of your two I mean there's so much more you've got your complex women who just might need to be monitored or your sick women who might need to have more one-on-one care that's more the labor and birth center experience and then postnatally my day would be I look after four women and four babies So that's eight patients in a day, which is just insane because you've got to help them feed. And then it's pretty much depending on what the woman, like what type of birth the woman's had, whether or not she's had a vaginal birth or a cesarean, it can be a really heavy workload. Obviously, a cesarean is quite a complex surgery, which I think many people underestimate how big it is. So looking after them and yeah, it's so much, it's very hard to explain what, how much we actually do. And whenever I look after women, they're just like, wow, you are so busy. Like you guys just do so much more than we ever thought. And I think that's a misconception that, you know, you get your obstetrician and they come in and they deliver the baby. But if everything's going smoothly, we don't see the doctors at all. Like it's all us. We're so autonomous. We do call a lot of shots and we have to be on the ball all the time to work out if anything's, you know, deviated from the normal. So yeah, that's a brief snapshot. Not as many cuddles of babies as people would think. Really? Interesting. When you went to initially uni to become a nurse, when did you first go down the midwife path and how were you intrigued to the idea? Because it sounds like a very messy job and um, (laughs) you're obviously not afraid to get your hands dirty, but uh, (laughs) where did the intrigue come from? Where did the passion come from? Well, I think for me growing up, I was just always drawn to 
babies. Like I always loved them. I don't know why, but if I saw a baby, which I know in today's society is so wrong, I would just go up to it and just want to like hold it and cuddle it. And mum and dad, if you're listening, they never stopped me. So I just used to go up and steal people's babies. I like to think that I'm a very caring person. And I think that's where the nursing side of things came in. And then like we've touched on, what an amazing job it is being able to bring life into the world. But yeah, you're right. The hands do get very dirty. You name a bodily fluid, it's been on these hands. Disclaimer. <laughs> and a uh, quick disclaimer. I'm sure, Mon, you didn't actually steal the babies. You, uh, you did give them back, didn't you? I gave them back. I did. I wish I didn't have to, but I did. We probably had this question for later, but like, has being in this industry or now having this as your, your career, has it, has it made you want kids more or has it made you not want to have them? What, what, what's, it, what's the feeling? I think people think that I wouldn't want to have kids because everyone thinks labor and birth and blood and fluid and all of that. But I don't think it's that messy. And if anything, it's when I've looked after someone who's just had such an incredible experience and I can see the pure love that's in the room. I'm like, I cannot wait for that to happen to me. You know, it's such an empowering thing that women do. Like, honestly, I'm blown away by them. Sometimes I'm left speechless because I'm just like, you are a boss. Like you just killed that you know so yeah I think it makes me want to have kids more not right now disclaimer no <laughs> not right now but in the years down the track well just a disclaimer as well for anyone wondering why we've got mine on it's not because <laughs> D or myself are interested in having children right now either we're not trying to find out any hidden tips or you know ways we can we spoke last night Mon we, we we'll be honest here we're actually afraid of holding babies we both don't know actually why don't we ask this now how do you actually hold a baby that's <laughs> I told you we're naive <laughs> pretty much how you're holding your microphone that's basically it you know it's I think (laughs) or how you hold a football you know when women breastfeed we have a football hold so that's how you hold a baby there's no I think the funniest thing is when I work with the dads or any support person they're just so nervous to touch the baby and I'm like Look at what it just squeezed out of. Putting a singlet over a baby's head that is stretchy and soft and cottony is not going to hurt the baby. Like they're always amazed by us because we we do it all the time. So I guess it's like our second instinct really just to pick up a baby and wrap it and throw it over the shoulder. But yeah, it's you just can't overthink it. That's the tip. I always tell everyone just don't overthink it. You're not going to hurt the baby. I promise you. It's kind of sad because, like, I'll be honest, I've probably, like, passed on many occasions Me to hold too. a family member's baby or a cousin or someone because I'm like, oh, nah. Oh, it's I, God forbid you drop it. Yeah, That's like, scary. nah, I'll wait, I'll wait till they're maybe, you know, one or two and, you know, we can have some type of or form of communication and I can make them laugh or... But, yeah, you know, and I think that's yeah. it. Like it's, But it's not even that people are scared to drop it. It's like, if it cries, what do I do? And the amount of times where I'm at work and someone... So you get a nurse call bell so they can press their buzzer for you to come to the room and I'll come to... They'll press the buzzer and I'll come to the room and they'll go, my baby's crying. And I'm like, that's normal. Babies cry. Like, you know, they're like, what do I do? I go, you pick the baby up give it a cuddle that's usually what it's crying for it's either got a dirty nappy or it's hungry or it just wants love so don't overthink it it's funny because they're the three reasons why i cry (laughs) 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 i want to talk we're going to talk about both sides of sort of the equation men and, and women but let's start with the women you use the word empowering and it's very true so let's talk about the labor because like i said we're naive but we want to learn so 
walk us through the day of when a when a woman comes into the hospital a rough time period i know everyone's different and, and the process that actually goes on so you're spot on every single labor is different for every single woman there it doesn't fit the mold I would have millions of dollars if I could answer the question of how long will this go for. If I knew the answer to that, I would be a millionaire because that's the one thing everyone asks. How long do I have to keep doing this for? And the short answer is I have no idea. But basically, I touched on it before. You've got your spontaneous laborers and you've got your inductions. So they're very different. But I think the misconception is you sometimes hear of women saying, I've been in labor for 48 hours, which realistically in midwife's terms, you haven't. <laughs> There's a We have quite a definition for the diagnosis of labor, but the whole thing for a spontaneous labor is you want to stay at home for as long as you can. The reason behind that is once you come into the hospital, there's more interference. So you sort of can stop the natural process and progression of labor. So that's why we always, you might hear people say, just stay at home for as long as you can and then come into the hospital when you feel like you can't really cope or manage with it. So that's when they come into the hospital. And those women who do that and stay at home for that amount of time do extremely well. Once they get into the hospital and we start intervening or if they request an epidural, then it's called the cascade of intervention. So one thing leads to another, leads to another. I don't know if you guys want to know that because I could talk for yeah, hours and I've probably got... Explain the whole thing. So the cascade of intervention is, for example, if someone came in in spontaneous labor and then requested an epidural, which all four epidurals go for it, but... There's the risk of epidurals with slowing down labor. So then that might slow down the labor. And then if that happens, we have to put that artificial hormone up to bring on the contractions. Then there's an increased risk of other things happening. And with an epidural, sometimes women can't push as well. So then we increase the risk of an instrumental birth. So either by a vacuum, which is a little suction cup on the baby's head, or forceps, which is like salad servers pretty much on the baby's head. But that's, that's for example, people can have epidurals and still have a normal vaginal birth. So all for whatever the woman wants to do. Yeah, it's a really hard question to answer because it's so different. I'm intrigued to what, what kind of birth I was. Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw my mum under the bus. All I know is that she apparently annoyed the whole hospital and screamed a lot. So uh, Really? Yeah, she yeah. told me that. I'm pretty sure my mum always talks about, like, you know when people make the story sound better each time it's told? So I think the first time I heard this story, it was like, oh, it was 30 degrees. And then, you know, the next time I'm sure I was 42 degrees. The next time I thought it was 58 degrees when, you know, when I had you that day, Wade. But I'm just thinking that you explaining that answer. A woman coming into labour wanting to say, do it naturally, right? I don't want any drugs, nothing, epidural, I don't want any of that. Have you seen many, like, women actually change their mind because of the pain? All the time. Yeah. So realistically for me, majority of my shifts are inductions. So what I touched on with the hormone drip or women who have come in spontaneous labor and then wanted the natural birth and can no longer do it. They might try their different pain relief options and then end up in an ep- with an epidural. So that means that they're now confined to the bed pretty much. But it's so tough. We intervene a lot and we induce people for a lot of reasons we probably shouldn't. But yeah, all the time. I hardly ever just look after a spontaneous labourer from the beginning to the end. 
for your role, especially through this period, what are you doing before the baby's ready to be born? Are you talking with the mum? Are you going through breathing? We'll talk about breathing last night. Are you just monitoring? I've just, I have no idea. So I'm just really interested to know your role. Yeah. It, so same sort of thing depends on what labor they come in with if they're spontaneous we try to be hands-free as much as we can and it also really depends on the woman and her wants and desires for her birth experience that's the thing she's always we provide women-centered care so they're always at the center of their care and pretty much anything that they want to do we will try and facilitate so if I know that they want an epidural you know I won't be like you should be doing this naturally with no pain relief if that's what they want to do that's what they want to do and I'm all for it So if they're fully natural and spontaneous, I just monitor the baby's heart rate every half an hour, write some notes, and then we do in labor a vaginal examination, usually every four hours to assess the cervix. So you guys are going to be like, whoa, what is the cervix? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So the cervix is what has to, so you might hear the term fully dilated. Have you heard that before? Yes. Yeah. So for a baby to be born, the cervix has to be fully dilated, which we define as 10 centimeters open. And it has to be like that to get the baby's head through. If it's not, it's not possible to have a vaginal birth. So that's a fun fact for you. Wow. That's, but yeah, when yeah. we can't really assess the progression of labor. We, we tr- time the contractions. So ideally, we always want to be having, you know, when a woman's in really good, strong labor, we want four contractions in 10 minutes that are lasting 60 seconds and are strong. That's ideally what we need for the cervix to dilate to be t- 10 centimeters. And we can't obviously see the cervix from the outside. So that's when we do the internal vaginal examinations where we use our fingers to sort of calculate how open the cervix is. So I do that. And then if everything's going fine, we pretty much just keep doing that until the baby's born and I'm documenting the whole thing. And then it, on the other hand, for an induction of labor, we have to have the monitor on them. So that's called a CTG, which monitors the baby's heart rate and the woman's uterine activity. And basically, we're constantly fiddling with that. If we've got the hormone drip going on, we have to titrate it up and down. So increase the rate. Sorry, my dog is barking if you can hear that. <laughs> um, we have to increase the rate or either decrease it to try and achieve those four strong regular contractions lasting 60 seconds in that 10 minutes. So with that, we're looking at the CTG, making sure that the baby's coping with the labor. We're making sure that the woman's coping with the labor. And yeah, things can change very quickly though. That's the thing. The baby can drop its heart rate, which means There's lots of things that we might need to do. We have so many different obstetric emergencies. I get so hard. I do so much. I can't explain it all. What if something is happening? What if the baby's heart rate does go up? What's the situation like? Who's in the room? What happens? What What do you have to do? How do you calm the the mother down? What what, the so? It sounds very hectic. Yeah. So I think I should start by saying. When a woman comes into birth center, you're assigned one midwife. So it would just be me in the room with them unless I have a student midwife with me or like a medical student with me. But otherwise, it's just me and the woman and her support person and I'm with them for the whole of my shift. So if I was on an AM shift, I'd be with her from 7am until 3.30. Majority of things that happen in 
labor when you have those emergencies is what we call fetal bradycardia which is when the baby drops its heart rate and if the baby drops its heart rate it might be unprovoked which is we're more concerned of or if she's having a contraction so if you think about it when the uterus squeezes on the baby it cuts off that blood supply so the baby drops its heart rate because it's not getting as much oxygen but if the baby's heart rate comes back straight away that's really reassuring but if it stays low for a long period of time then that's concerning because it's not getting oxygen so if that happens what I would have to do so I'm watching the monitor the whole time you know you press your emergency buzzer straight away you would turn off the oxytocin drip if that's on most likely you need to put a scalp clip on this is going to be <laughs> you're so out of depth right now but a fetal scalp electrode is it's an internal device that we also put on through a vaginal examination it sounds sort of scary but we sort of screw a little clip onto the top of the baby's scalp and that picks up its heart rate it's more accurate than the external device to make sure that we are actually accurately recording the baby's heart rate does that make sense it it does (laughs) i want to know how often is this occurring do you know a percentage of how often this would occur or in your experience how often do you have to do this I do it quite frequently, but I'm currently working in a high-risk tertiary hospital. So I guess I'm working with the people who do have more complications and that, yeah, I feel like that's a normal thing for me. I mean, even though I say it's a normal thing, it's still very stressful because you're waiting for the baby's heart rate to go up and the monitor. So like for a baby, it would be like, dump. The baby's heart rate would be like dun, 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 whatever. And you just know that that's normal. But as soon as you start to hear it go like dum, 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 you're like, what? So there's a lot of things that we do. And yeah, basically, if she's having lots of contractions, we give her a medication to stop those contractions. We rotate her from side to side. But if the baby's heart rate doesn't come up, then we just go straight for an emergency Caesar. Are you in communication with the mother the whole time and and how do you keep them calm, keep her calm? Yeah, so I think it's really intimidating for a woman and her partner because when if everything's tracking along fine and then that happens, a lot has to be done in a really short period. So I would press the buzzer and multiple people would come into the room. And, you know, we do this every day. So we are quite good at it and ideally what, obviously you have to consent for those things. So the first thing I would say is, is it okay if I do an assessment to see how dilated you are? Can I put that scalp clip on your baby's head to you know, monitor the heart rate? I really need to make sure that, that this is accurately recording the baby's heart rate. And so I'll explain all that. Like I always say, your baby's heart rate's just dropping. We've just got to put the monitor on to make sure that it's okay. And then they'll go yes or no and we'll troubleshoot. And yeah, I guess for me, if I'm the kusha, so the primary kusha is the one who was in the birth center with that woman the whole time, I will be doing those internal examinations unless the doctors are there and really want to do it. But we try and keep that continuity because it's quite you know, exposing for a woman to have lots of and intimidating to have lots of people just walk into the room. And I, I think I'm quite good at communicating and staying calm but usually one midwife would sort of go to them and explain what's happening you mentioned having a partner in the room like and yeah i want to know like it's, it's made me think 
just how easy us blokes have it, right? Yeah, it's like hell. listening to that, it's made me go bloody hell. Like it's so intense. How important is having a really good supportive partner and, and what does the partner need to do or, or best prepare? I, I know a couple of people who probably will be listening, blokes who are soon to be fathers. You know, what, what is the, the best way to prepare for, for labor as a, the most supportive partner you can be? Yeah, and I think that's it's super tough for a support person. I mean, seeing someone who you care so much for and love so much be in quite a significant amount of pain and you cannot do anything to stop that amount of pain, I think it's a really, really tough situation to be in. But I guess the best piece of advice that I would say is have that conversation with your partner before she goes into labor to know exactly what she wants from you you know things can change in the labor you know I've seen the women that are like do not touch me and like do not speak to me but then I think just having an open <laughs> like an open conversation from the beginning to know what sort of support your partner wants so whether or not you're going to be really involved in the labor like are you going to encourage her to keep breathing through them or encourage her to change positions or maybe use water for pain relief and really just be there for her the entire time but like I said it just really depends on what the woman wants so asking her but I think the more knowledge that dads have the better. Basically, it sounds like almost putting together a little bit of a game plan, right? Before, you know, what's our game plan and what's play one, what's play two, what's play three, if this happens or this doesn't happen. like Yeah. But what what, what about, I'm sure people over-prepare as well. I'm sure people, I want this to happen and that to happen and it might not go to plan, but they're so, I don't know, maybe obsessive about it that... It, it could create yeah. some chaos. It definitely can. So most people come in with a birth plan and it pretty much says what they envision their birth and labor to be like. And we try to facilitate that as much as we can. But if there's medical indications for us to do things, sometimes it excludes what they want. And I think that's the hardest part is that they get women get their hopes up so much to meet exactly that criteria. And when it doesn't happen, they almost feel like they haven't achieved their goal, which is just ridiculous because the outcome's still the same, bringing as long as your baby's brought into the world safely and you're okay. But we just have such a high expectation to either, for example, getting an epidural. Women say, I don't want any pain relief. I want to do it naturally. And if they get an epidural, they're like, oh, you know, I wish I didn't get that. It's like, what do you mean? You've, you've done it. You're incredible. Don't be so hard on yourself. Like, do not be that hard on yourself. And I think that's the trouble is when things don't go to plan or if it's an emergency Caesar and they all of a sudden have no control over their body, they're like, that's not the birth that I envisioned. And there is definitely trauma around some women's births and labor experiences. Yeah, that's the reality of it, I guess. Can you talk us through some of the different types of births i know you've mentioned them briefly you've talked about emergency caesar but correct me if i'm wrong but you can do that you can choose to do that can't you shows how so, I <laughs> so in terms of like cesareans you have your elective cesareans or your emergency caesars through the public system usually we wouldn't really encourage someone to have a cesarean unless it was medically indicated so I don't work privately, but that's where you're more likely to have a planned elective Cha-ching. cesarean Cha-ching. because yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you know you're paying for that obstetrician and you're paying pretty much for them to 
facilitate your plans and yeah so through the public system unless it's indicated we wouldn't really do it so indications for like elective caesar could be a breech birth obviously so that means the baby's upside down where the bottom would come out first rather than their head so that can be an emergency so most women don't really want to risk that and will have an elective cesarean or any other medical indications which would tell them to have one but then yeah you have your emergency seizures so that's when something might happen unplanned in the labor and birth so like what I said before your fetal bradycardia where they drop their heart rate or a breach an undiagnosed breech birth, if the cord comes out in front of the baby's head, so cord prolapse, which means that, yeah, that's just a disaster in itself. We just rush them through to theatre to get the baby out. I'm intrigued, Don. I'm not sure if you haven't mentioned it, so I'm not sure if you've actually, I'm sure you probably have been involved with it. But what about a water birth? Like what's a water birth and, and what happens? Yeah, so I guess the types of vaginal birth, so we've got, you know, your vaginal birth, which the baby just comes out unassisted and then you have your... <laughs> no, <laughs> what you I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yes, I said the I word vagina. Is that I'll what you're laughing at? <laughs> Is right, that I'll what ta- you I'll guys are laughing now. at? So, and then you can answer the question. I'm so sorry. But last night we were, we were writing all the notes. We were in Doss's room and he was going through all the... Dip- we were writing the notes as mentioned and, we, and he wrote water birth. And I wasn't even... I never even heard of it. And I was trying to picture it and I couldn't wrap my head around how it works. So Doss got, <laughs> Doss acted it out in front of me and we were, and we were both deadly serious until we looked at each other and realised what we we're doing and then we just started laughing like, this is ridiculous. So I was on my knees. I was like, this is what happens. I love it. I love it. A bit of role play. Why not? <laughs> but for your natural vaginal births, you can have that in water or out of water but for the water birth you have to meet a certain criteria to get into the bath so it just depends on what hospital you're at with what their policies and procedures are to either include you or exclude you from being able to have a water birth but it's a pretty amazing thing water is very very good for pain relief in labor so I guess that's why people want to do it and just the transition for a baby to be born in the water they say that it's easier for them I personally I've been there when I was a student I've witnessed them but I haven't done them since being qualified midwife it's just also working in a tertiary hospital where high risk so sometimes women get excluded or you know you might get into the bath for pain relief and then for some reason you have to get out it just depends on what's happening, but it's incredible. It is such a beautiful experience. Yeah. Okay. The baby's been born, healthy baby. What is your role in terms of now that the baby's out? Can you explain to us like the feeling of like giving the, the child to the mother to hold for the first time? As soon as the baby is born, what happens? And, and try and explain to us like, yeah, the beautiful moment that a lot of the time we see in the movies, is it really like that? I guess that's all. They're just waiting for that moment. You know, that's the relief for them is the birth of their baby like they've finally done it and I really think there's a bit of shock when it first happens so like you put the baby onto their chest you know you look at the dad and they're crying I start crying the mum's crying it's such a beautiful experience but yeah sometimes women are just 
they're either in love straight away or they're not and they're in that little bit of shock and disbelief about what they've done which is completely normal you know you've got so many hormones going through your body adrenaline and you've just either been in labor for hours and hours and hours and you've finally done it it's such a beautiful moment you know it is really like the movies I mean I don't think there's as much gore and stuff there's what it there and blood as there probably is but yeah it's pretty amazing and then after that I think one thing that people don't realize is when the baby's born you still have to birth the placenta do you guys know what the placenta is no but I, I do know that some it's full of nutrients I know that yeah yeah so the placenta is like an organ which is developed in pregnancy so women don't have it until they're pregnant and it provides all the nutrients and delivers all the oxygen and blood supply to the baby so there you go you're right Wade nutrients so when the baby's born your uterus keeps contracting and then that separates the placenta from the uterus wall and you have to deliver it so it's much easier for all the mums listening and being like, what, I still have to deliver something? It's got no bones. It's <laughs> quite squishy. It's like a jellyfish almost. Depending on what birth and what consent they've given, we will either help deliver it or they will try and help deliver it themselves. But then, yeah, we basically just get her comfy. We check to see if there's any tears or anything down below because it's normal to tear to make room for the baby. So we might need to suture them. And then we do all our obs, make sure the baby's okay, make sure the mum's not bleeding too much. And then, yeah, we just facilitate that first initial breastfeed. And that's it in a nutshell, really. Just quickly on the placenta, a couple that we actually had on the podcast, Paul and Elise Wintle, just recently had their first child, Forrest, the baby boy. And I know Elise was posting on her Instagram that she was actually eating the placenta or putting it in smoothies. Can you explain that? Do many women do that? So, like I said, it's full of nutrients and... You know, I've spoken to women who have done it for their last pregnancy where they've encapsulated it. I think majority of people either, there's a few things that they do. They'll either encapsulate it. You have your rare few that will actually put it into something to consume in a smoothie or like food. And then you have the ones that might take the placenta home to bury it. It sort of signifies life. They plant it. They, they might get a plant and they'll put it in the soil and then they'll plant the plant on top. And hopefully because of all the nutrition, the plant will grow even better than before. But yeah, there is just so much nutrients in it and people do feel a lot better after eating it or consuming it however they want. Personally, I just deal with placentas way too much that I'm like, I could not do that, but all for it if that's what you want to do. I'm sure you can make a beautiful hearty lasagna with a nice bit of placenta in it well you've explained it a lot better than my physiology teacher because i remember writing the word placenta down at uni that many times but this is the first time i've actually really understood it so thank you mine it shows i'm learning a lot can you remember the first time you delivered a baby and how did you personally feel was it relief was it were you very emotional and the more you do it do you become more accustomed to it Does, does that sort of emotional toll go away or is it the same kind of magic each time how do you feel I definitely don't think it goes away. There is something so special about delivering a baby and you really, you do get this adrenaline surge yourself and you're so invested. I think that's the thing. Midwives are so invested and just want the best outcome for the woman and her baby and her partner that it's a relief for us when the baby comes out and it's everything's gone fine and you know the baby's healthy and mum's not bleeding too much. Like it's just... 
an incredible feeling, but I remember the first baby that I delivered as a student. So as a midwifery student, there's a lot of placement that goes into it, lots and lots of hours, because you obviously can't come out of the job, actually never have done anything. So for me, we had to do, because I did nursing and midwifery, I did like over 1600 hours of free placement and I would work pretty much I'd be supervised but in my fourth year I was pretty much doing everything by myself and you know I needed to do the births by myself but my first birth I stayed back it was I think my shift finished at 10 30 and it was 10 o'clock and she was pushing and I could start to see the head and the midwife was like you, you're gonna do this one and I was like shaking and I was like what is that like I'm how is that a baby's head I was just like what because you just don't see it and it I just remember looking at me like oh my god my hands are shaking I've got my goggles on they're like put an apron on I've got my apron on my hands are there the midwife has her hands like on top of mine that's usually what you would do when you're supporting someone to have their first birth and I think it was now, I was now like half an hour past my finish time and then I delivered the baby and I was just like oh my god had no idea what I was really doing you know you practice it on a mannequin but real life is so different but yeah no it was an incredible feeling then coming home and being like I just delivered a baby even the days when I deliver a baby I'm like I delivered a baby today you know not many people get to say that and I think I forget how special that is and then when I tell someone that I've delivered a baby it's like whoa you do that? And it's like, yeah, I do do that. Like, it's pretty cool. And, and you'd be in the memory of the parents forever as well, which is which is really, really cool. And I'm guessing too, you probably can't make plans for an hour or two hours after you shift because I'm guessing there's a fair bit of overtime quite regularly. Yeah. I mean, the workload is insane and really it just babies, <laughs> if only they followed a schedule. Like, oh my God, how much easier would it be? But they come whenever they want at any time of day and yeah, if you're the midwife, you know, we try working in a hospital, it's a 24-hour job. So we try and, you know, spread the workload as evenly as we can. But if you've just done a birth and your shift's finishing in 10 minutes, you don't just walk out of the room. You know, that woman's been with you the whole time and her legs are up in stirrups and her, you know, private parts are exposed. You can't just leave her. So I guess, I mean, it depends on the person that's personally me when I've built such a good rapport and I think it's something so special that they, you're right, they do remember you and you do hold such a big part of their life. And I wish that I could, I always remember people's faces, but I may not remember their names. I'll remember the names of the bad, the things that have gone horribly wrong, but the good you know, I remember the face, but I sometimes don't remember the woman's name, but I always still carry them and think about them from time to time. Like you said, we've kind of, we've talked about all the beautiful pregnancy and I guess what we picture and what we hope and pray that's going to happen. It's all going to be fine and healthy and, and we know people and obviously you would see it all the time, but would you be open to sharing how an unsuccessful birth has affected you or I hate saying it but like a stillborn like that just mm. it just makes your stomach drop can you share with us just how difficult that is and for the mother and the father or the partner just must be gut-wrenching yeah and I think that's a part of the job it's so it's so bittersweet you know it's crazy that we can bring life into this world but then we can also completely go to the other end of the spectrum and we see babies die and it's horrific like there is 
honestly nothing worse that I would hope to happen to someone. It's awful and you can never prepare yourself. I mean, the first time I looked after someone, you sort of, I remember about to walk into the room and this woman, she had twins and, you know, it was an IVF pregnancy. She was a single mom. Yeah, she didn't have a partner. She was like 40 years old. This could be her last pregnancy ever. And she's just gone into spontaneous labor at like 20 weeks. You know, those babies aren't viable. They're not compatible with life. So there's only one option really, and that's to birth them. And you know, they can come out alive and then breathe for a few seconds by themselves or they can come out and not cope with the labour and already have passed before the baby's born. And for me, walking into the room, I was like, what do I do? How do I act? I think what works best for me is that they're still people. They're still human. You know, you don't want to treat them like they've got something wrong with them. You can't walk into the room. Yes, first thing I say is like, I'm so extremely sorry that this is happening to you there's I have no more words than I'm sorry and you know it's a really tough thing to go through but basically after that I just gauge it by them if they want me in the room I'll be in the room as much as they want me there if they want to talk and the start you're sort of treading water a little bit trying to suss the vibes in the room but most of the time they want you there and they're very grateful for actually you being there and talking to them and distracting them from what's about to happen but yeah then I've delivered twins where the first twin was born alive and the second twin had passed away weeks before so that's very bittersweet in itself for the woman their partner you know just bringing a baby into the world and then still having to deliver the second twin who they know that's deceased it's quite challenging it takes a lot of courage and you have to be kind to yourself I tend to I'm very open I'm happy to talk to people about it and you know I do cry I cry all the time when things like this happen it wouldn't I don't think I'd be human and even leaving those women on those days like I feel guilty I think that's the hard part you know you take you really take it upon yourself because you're just like it's so awful but then I have to take a step back and be like you know, this is your job, played your role. They're so grateful for you being there. And But sometimes they're like, what, you're leaving? Like you're going now? And that's the hard part. And then sometimes if you're not back on shift the next day, you may not see them and you can't contact them because it's against the rules. And it's just, it's honestly such a rewarding part of the job. As crazy as that sounds, it's very special to be there for that as well i hope that answers that thank you thank you for sharing that it must be so tough i know my parents unfortunately had two miscarriages in between myself and my two sisters and i know how much it still affects them even to this day and i can't imagine when you get further down the line and, and that kind of thing happens how do you deal with if you go to your next job and you then deliver a successful healthy baby is it still in the back of your mind that you've just come from this other woman that has unfortunately lost her child and then you've got all this joy and happiness with the next patient do you feel I don't even know how to ask this do you feel a sense of like it's almost unfair for the other lady or you're just so joyous with what's going on in front of you just be interested to know that feeling I mean it depends on the circumstance I'm so sometimes I'm like it's unfair when I look after someone who has done drugs their whole life and you know done the wrong thing their whole life and then there's the person that's done everything right 
and it just hasn't worked out for them, that's really tough. And I'm not saying that, you know, those people that have done drugs and stuff are bad and I really enjoy looking after them, but I'm like, there's just so much variety and I will always be happy for someone who has a baby. Like I don't think I carry it in my back of my mind when I'm present. Like if I'm in a shift and I'm doing my thing, I'm always there present in the moment. It might be a reflection later on. What is the biggest thing you've learned being a midwife in, in your, and to be honest, like you're just starting your career in this, in, you know, it's been a few, like you are just at the beginning and you've, you've shared all of this. Like it's pretty amazing to think that you're only beginning your journey. But so far in that short period of time, what is the biggest thing you've learned? And it could be about life. It could be a spiritual awakening. It could be some gratitude or, yeah, well, I would just love to know what is the one thing or the biggest thing that you've learned so far? Yeah, I mean, I've learned so much. It's insane how much I've learned in a short period of time, as you said. But I think it's just not taking life for granted, you know, I see the sickest of the sick and the I see the highs and then I see the lows and it's just like life is so special. We need to cherish it. I don't know. I've learned so much. It's so hard to put it into words. I'm very grateful for what I do and I've I've learned a lot of patience and caring and people skills. I think that's it. My communication. I just I love speaking with people and getting to know them and I think I'm very patient. I'll have a lot of time for anyone, no matter what their story is. And I just really want the best for everyone. So I'm very grateful that I've learned all these people skills and really am grateful for my life and my family and the support that I have around me. So, yeah. I love it. It's really nice. Um, Do you have any stories of, let's talk from a bloke's perspective for a moment. Have you ever seen a bloke sprinting in last minute? Have you heard any ridiculous excuses for why they were late or why they potentially missed the birth. Have you got any of those stories? Yeah, I've got one. So one time a woman came in and I think it was her second baby and we call them a multi. So someone who's had a baby before and the rule of thumb is never to trust a multi because the second time usually you have a baby, it's a lot quicker because your body's done it before. And she came in in spontaneous labor and she wasn't really doing much. So like when I say she wasn't doing much, she wasn't really contracting much. And I was up in the room and I was looking after her and the dad was like, I'm just going to move the car. And I was like, okay, go move the car. That's what you want to do. Like she's starting to sort of contract a lot. She's doing a few things now. And he's like, yeah, yeah I, just need, I just need to move the car. I'm like, all right, but don't be long. And literally the minute that he walked out of the room, her waters break. And when someone's waters break, when they have had a baby before, the baby's just coming pretty soon after. So all of a sudden the waters break. I know he's gone to the car park. All of a sudden I see the baby's head coming. I've got my hands on the head to try and like stop it coming. And that's almost impossible to tell someone to like stop. And she's like, where is he? Where is he? And I'm like to one of the midwives, someone's got to go run down to the car park and find him. I was like, what car has he got? What car has he got? And she's telling me. So one of the midwives run down to the car park to try and find him. Then they run back and literally the head comes out the second he walks into the room and then the body. And I was like. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just come on, mate. It's really uh, it's worth the parking yeah, ticket. Yeah, seventy like, bucks. Yeah. No, you'd be surprised how many people move their cars. 
Like you, I'm just like, why would you not park in a proper car park? Why park in a timed zone? I know people that have played football (laughs) that miss a birth of their child. (laughs) Yeah, I still find that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But anyway. I want to know about your most recent venture. Mm. And that is the MIDI Society. I would love you to explain what that is. And I guess your mission behind this creation of yours. Yeah, so basically... This year, I've created my own podcast and pregnancy midwifery education platform. So it's called the Midi Society, and then the podcast is called Midi. That's M I double D double E. And I guess the term comes from midwife. That's where Midi comes from. And I've sort of touched on it, but for me, yes, I've only been working for a short period of time, but the knowledge that I have compared to the average Joe is quite significant you know I've seen a lot I've I do a lot and I think especially in the pandemic women have just missed out on so much they've been so robbed of so many first pregnancy and birth experiences and working on the floor at the hospital you know you see them come in and they know a lot about the labor and the birth which is like five percent and then it comes to the baby being born and they've got absolutely no idea what to do next. And that just amazed me. I was at work and I was like, why do we not do more? Why are we not doing more for these women? You know, we guide them through the pregnancy and birth experience and then we pretty much just send them home a day or two later and go, all right, all the best. And I see the women in the hospitals just get so sad if they have if their baby's not breastfeeding straight away they'll be there in full-blown tears and I'm like this is normal newborn behavior you know your baby's doing everything it needs to do please don't be this hard on yourself and they're like what this is normal I'm like yes of course it's normal you know it's so fresh for you and your baby and I think I was like I love educating why don't I do something about it and that's where I was literally sitting on the beach I said to my brother and sister hey I'm thinking of doing this, but you know, I'm I'm 24. I haven't been working for 10 years or whatever. I've been working for two years. Who's going to listen to me if I create this podcast? And straight away, they were like to me, Mon, are you kidding me? You know so much compared to all of us. And my sister had been going through a tough, like a tough time herself in terms of, you know, losing a baby. And she was like, I could not have done this without you. Like I just wouldn't have known what to do. And I think for me, I was like, wow, I actually have a lot of knowledge behind me and I can help a lot of people. And those people that don't want to listen to me, they don't have to listen to me. That's the thing. You know, you'll always have the people that want to listen to you. And so I created the MIDI Society. So basically what I do is offer vital midwifery knowledge so I do my own episodes where I educate women on sort of what we've done today but I'll choose a topic and go through it more thoroughly because as you know it's a bit hard to touch on hundreds of topics um, in detail and then also I share people's stories and instead of just their labor and birth stories which I think there's a lot of podcasts out there that do which is super exciting but they don't share the real stuff you know, the real and honest truth of how hard it is becoming a parent and the challenges that not only women face, but the dads face. I just want to normalize 
the normal and break down all those stereotypes and barriers that you know women put up for example breastfeeding breast is best women are so hard on themselves if they don't breastfeed and it's like you do whatever you want to do that's normal and if your journey is like this hundreds of other people's journeys are like that if your baby's not sleeping I promise thousands of other babies aren't sleeping so I just wanted to provide a platform I guess being younger I wanted to create a platform that's energetic and I think that I am quite an energetic and open and entertaining person that that's what I've tried to create and yeah here I am now you guys wanting to speak to me (laughs) well you're doing an awesome job Mon and like on that we talk about you know you bring up age and you know we've probably been there ourselves uh, from like the mission that we want to create no gee we don't know everything do we have the right to share what we we share or it is a bit of that imposter syndrome whereas i don't have the 10 years experience so like am i an imposter like I'm, i'm faking it and you're not what you're doing is you're relating to like I'm thinking about the young mums that I know or mm. that are to be mums very soon. And to me, they're going to relate to you so much more than say, you know, I'm not, I'm yeah. not being, is it ageist, but I'm not like yeah. someone who's older. Like to you, you're, you're young, you're energetic, like you say. And I think the way, with the way technology is now, you're utilising that, which we set it off air. You've created yourself a really specific niche, which yeah. you're doing awesome with. Thank you. Yeah, I... I'm very proud of what I've done and exactly what you said. We, I don't know why we do it as humans, but we automatically put up a barrier to doing something. And I was like, Monique, what are you doing? Don't use your age as an excuse. You know, if you've got a clear mission and you show up every single day and prove that you're worthy of people to listen to you and like I said some people don't have to listen to me and that's fine but there's the people that do and now I've created this little community which is building every day and people are listening and you know it's one thing to say I want to do this but I've done it now like you've done it we're doing it and you know there's no stopping us now basically and that's the exciting part there's so many different avenues and I've got so many goals the, this is just the beginning so yeah it's it's very special I'm very humbled for the support that I've had so far and being able to share my story and just normalize the normal and yeah speak about the honest and unspoken truths of what having a baby really entails mm. I really want to acknowledge the bravery aspect of it because it is I mean we know what it's like when you release something or want to start something you've got these ideas but it's not about who's not listening but it's about who is and who you're impacting and the great thing about it is you're probably impacting so many people that actually from everyone that does reach out, there's probably twofold, threefold, fourfold that aren't, that are getting useful tips. And it's opened my eyes because we have no idea what it's like, obviously, as blokes, but we have no idea even how to be a supportive bloke when the time comes because why would we think about it until the time comes? And I think, I know with like my parents, they would have used books and they would have read books before when they were expecting and getting used to it. And now they've got this awesome platform and they can flick through, listen. Yeah, I just want to acknowledge what you're doing because I think it's it's a really cool thing and your niche is so special for people. And even if they're with you for just three months, I think it's just an awesome thing. How, so how just- do people get in touch? So there's multiple ways that you can get in touch. One is following the Instagram. So it's the MIDI Society. And then on they can have a listen on iTunes or 
not iTunes, what? <laughs> Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you search up MIDI, M-I-D-D-E-E, it will come up or you can, yeah, email me all the information's on my Instagram page or follow me on my own personal Instagram page. Give that a which shout. Is Monique. Yeah, shout out Monique underscore Maitland. <laughs> but no, it's it's super special and you're right. It's it's so accessible now, podcasts. And it's not even that they have to listen to every episode each week, mm. but it's never going away. Yeah. What I've done is there to stay. And I think that's what I'm noticing now is it's not the recent episode that people are listening to and you guys will probably know this, but people do go back to the start. Yeah. And listen to that. It's not all about the listeners. I think you can get so caught up on how many views and how many followers you have. But I was listening to a podcast the other day and it's about starting your own little business. And basically they said, don't look at the views or don't look at the listens because, you know, you might look at it and say you have 100 people listening to the episode. You're like, 100? That's it? You've got to think of it as... You have 100 people standing in front of you. That's who you're talking to. If you have 500 listens, 500 people are standing in front of you talking, like you're talking to them and they want to listen. And I was like, well, crap, that's pretty cool. Like, Is that not cool? And yeah, it's just growing. So I'm very, very happy that I get to share my knowledge and yeah use it wisely <laughs> we, we talk about that all the time that exact example you just said and i think it even goes deeper it's there's a great word i love which is impact which is goes far beyond how many listeners or how many numbers or subscribers or whatever it is however you measure your analytics if you're impacting people one person two but that's lives that you're impacting and i think that word is more important than even numbers you know numbers great for whatever comparison or anything like that so i i want to i know dos will, will finish up but Firstly, thank you for your time. I'm so grateful that we got to speak with you because we legitimately learned a lot. Still got still got a long way to go, but uh, yeah. we've learned a lot today and I've thoroughly enjoyed it too, I, I will say. So even some of my friends that listen or people we know that listen that might see the topping and think, oh, but I'm really going to encourage them to listen because it was a really good episode. So I just want to thank you. And well, sure well, you I know we're going to walk away from this and, and kind of be like, wow, like we were a bit, oh, for one, like, we're uneducated on the topic. We yeah. knew that coming in. So like that was always going to be how we're going to feel. But I know we're both going to walk away with a different mindset about it. And I feel a huge amount of respect yeah. to all the women that go through this experience and choose to do it. We're sorry. <laughs> I, I Well, that and it, it just, it, it's blown my mind, Mon. I just want to acknowledge you as well. You're doing an awesome job. Thank I'm, you. I'm really proud of you. And yeah. like we've kind of spoken about, we know how hard it is to start something and consistency is the key and you're doing that and i just want to like tell you keep doing it because like that's how it's going to reach the mission and the goal that you want is just don't stop doing it so keep up the awesome work oh thanks so much for having me guys yeah i think most people when they hear what like i do they're like but we're not having a baby anytime soon but it's not about that it's about having that little bit of knowledge like even i've spoken to you for an hour and i've just given you so much insight that you can now use for the rest of your life like that's it Preparation. the knowledge yeah knowledge is so like power and yeah thank you so much for having me i'm so grateful to have been here and chatted to you i hope you learned something in a really short period of time but you guys are doing an incredible job keep sending your positive vibes and putting up 
those smiley posts because I love them and they brighten up my day and that's what people need right now. So thank you. Oh, we appreciate that, Mon. Uh, thanks again and hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Bye.